is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. John Bolton will be on the program in about 15 minutes to talk about a really uh, another courageous move by the president to withdraw from the Human Rights Council of the United Nations, which is nothing more than a uh, hate America, hate Jew, hate Israel operation day in and day out. And uh, uh, the National Security Advisors asked to come on the program. We're, we'd love to have him anytime. Now, there's a lot to talk about today, but I want to hit one issue in particular. We're going to get to the separation issue as the left continues to drive America's agenda. We're certainly going to get to the IG issue because it's very, very important, and we don't want to sweep it under the rug like the media are trying to do with the separation issue. But there's a grave injustice going on in this country right under our noses. The media will not report on it in any significant way, but I've been on this from day one, and I want to continue to be on this. I am not a special pleader for Paul Manafort. I've never talked to the man in my life. I've never communicated with the man in my life. I do not know him. I know of him, like the rest of you. But I also do not think that we should sit silently And watch as the federal government abuses this man's civil liberties. I don't know if he's committed a crime or not. Some jury will make that decision one day, I suppose. But you've got 17 prosecutors, most of them Democrats, most of them partisans, just like you saw at the top of the FBI. Going back 12, 14, 15 years, looking for anything they can. And now I want to tell you some more. This is from Fox News. I didn't see it on CNN or MSNBC or any of the networks. Former Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort is being held in solitary confinement after his bail was revoked in an outrageous violation of his civil liberties. Former Trump lawyer John Dow told Fox News today. Paul is in solitary confinement for his own safety from the general prison population, Dowd said. The warden is concerned that someone would violently attack Paul just for street cred. And I can guarantee you, folks, that Mr. Mueller and his band of liberal Democrat hacks are laughing at this. They're loving every minute of it. And they have a federal judge, a leftist appointed by Barack Obama, who gives them everything they want every time they walk into her courtroom. In Washington, D.C. They make all prisoners return to their cells whenever Paul needs to leave his cell, Dowd, who said he is a friend of Manafort's attorney. Dowd did not say exactly where Manafort, 69, was being held. A call to the Northern Neck Regional Jail in Virginia indicated Manafort was being held there. He was sent to the jail on Friday after U.S. District Judge Amy Berman Jackson revoked his $10 million bail, 
citing new witness tampering charges brought by the special counsel probing Russia election meddling. That would be Mueller. You have abused the trust placed in you six months ago, Judge Jackson told Manafort, rejecting his attorney's arguments that it was unclear who Manafort could contact while on bail. And for that, she throws him in a federal jail, a federal prison, and then the prison puts him in solitary confinement like he's a mass murderer? This is harsh pretrial punishment and an outrageous violation of Paul's civil liberties, Dowd said. Paul's counsel are filing an expedited appeal, Dowd told Fox. This is harsh pretrial punishment and an outrageous violation of Paul's civil liberties at the hands of an Obama appointee. And he is exactly right. Even the bail at $10 million was crazy. It's not hard to bring a case and win it when you have a judge not putting her finger on the scale of justice, throwing her whole body on the scale of justice. It is outrageous that this man is not only sitting in a federal penitentiary, but he's now in solitary confinement. Because the prosecutors want to break him. They've frozen all the guy's assets. They've gone after his ex-son-in-law. They went after one of his lawyers. They went after one of his PR people. They're bringing cases in two separate jurisdictions to make it even more difficult to defend himself in Washington, D.C. and Northern Virginia. They've expanded their authority by getting additional dual appointments in the Eastern District of Virginia where these assistant special counsel are now assistant U.S. attorneys. I mean, it's just appalling. This is America. It's supposed to be all these fools out there with criminal justice reform. They say nothing, nothing about this case because it's politically hot. I got it. But I keep bringing it up. I will keep bringing it up until everyone in conservative talk radio follows my lead. It's just a matter of time. And until more and more people speak out against this. Again, I don't know ultimately whether Manafort committed any offense. I don't know. He hasn't been tried. But I know this pre-trial stuff that's going on is outrageous. The way they broke into his home at five or six in the morning. With guns drawn? Is this the judge that authorized Mr. Mueller to do exactly that? I think it is. She's a former prosecutor, appointed by Obama not once but twice. The first time it was slowed down or stopped. The second time he's back again. She's a disgrace, this judge. Absolute disgrace. Jackson is her name. Judge Jackson. This guy, Manafort, if he hadn't spent 49 days or whatever it was as Trump's campaign chairman, none of this would be happening to him. None of it. Zero. Meanwhile, you have senior FBI agents still roaming the uh, planet who interfered with our election. 
who've lied, who've leaked, who violated their public trust. And for that, we don't have a special counsel. We don't have a special counsel for that. We know the individuals on Mueller's team, several of them, are unethical. Are absolutely unethical. Like the number two clown, Andrew Weissman. I would love nothing better than to debate this guy, to question this guy, Weissman. I know it's a fool's errand to ask because oh, no, we don't comment. Right, they only leak. But I would love to challenge this man. Anyway, that's the latest. Can you imagine being Manafort's family now? The guy's in solitary confinement in a federal jail? I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Uh, the president's national security advisor. How are you, sir? Glad to be with you. Thanks for having me. Um, so we did something at the U.N. today, the president did. Tell us about that. Well, the uh, president uh, authorized uh, the United States to withdraw from the U.N. Human Rights Council. Uh, and in fact, to go beyond that, we will now no longer fund uh, our share of the cost of the Human Rights Council or the U.N. High Commissioner for Human Rights. Uh, and the reason for that is that uh, the Human Rights Council, the High Commissioner, we think are just fundamentally misdirected, misguided. They don't advocate human rights. They've been actually used by human rights abusers against the United States, against Israel. Uh, and it's time to get off. You know, this is very uh, important. It's something in 2006 when I was at the U.N., we voted against the creation of this new body. It was supposed to be a reform uh, of the previous U.N. Human Rights Commission. It was not. The Bush administration didn't join uh, even after we were outvoted. Obama did. This reverses Obama's decision. And why did Obama so desperately want us to be a member of this? Because it's part of the theology of the left in America that uh, really, all nations basically are equal. Everybody's human rights record is fully subject to scrutiny by the international community. You know, Iran, the United States, pretty much all the same thing. Everybody gets to judge uh, performance. And I really think that the rejection of that worldview uh, is perhaps the most important aspect of the president's decision here, uh, because it's certainly true the Human Rights Council is filled with uh, human rights abusers. They get on the council to protect themselves. Uh, it's true that it's the council has been used uh, in just grossly unfair ways against Israel uh, and indeed against the United States in many respects. But but the real issue here, I think, is American sovereignty. And I think it's something you're going to see the administration uh, keen to defend over the over the next couple of years. Uh, a lot of different institutions, a lot of different questions, uh, a lot of different ways of looking at it. But fundamentally here, this is a rejection of the notion that multilateral organizations uh, are in a position to judge representative governments like the United States or to try and impose their view 
of what an adequate human rights performance is. You know, uh, John Bolton, over the decades, particularly on the left, but some Republicans too, have pushed for various treaties uh, which would be overseen by various institutions as have as their effect the degrading of American sovereignty. That is, taking decision-making out of our constitutional republic away from the American people and our institutions and essentially exporting them. And this seems to be an ideology of the left pretty much because I I even see some leftists now objecting to what you just did at the U.N. Sure, sure. Look, this is fundamentally, uh, in their view, about tying Gulliver down, tying the United States down, binding us with... Uh, rules and formulations that they make up that we're supposed to adhere to whether uh, they would be adopted by our democratic and constitutional institutions uh, or not. Uh, Over the years, the U.N. human rights uh, establishment has criticized the United States for not conforming to international human rights norms. Of course, even though we have a constitution and a bill of rights uh, that gives us the maximum amount of constitutionally protected freedom in the world. Uh, and the effort here is to whittle away at what the Constitution gives us and and supersede the sovereignty we enjoy with with a kind of supranational framework. Now, you know, this comes in a lot of different ways. This is a very complex subject, but the devotees of that approach uh, are content to proceed over a long period of time. They're playing a very long game. They recognize that the American Constitution is the single most important embodiment uh, of American exceptionalism around the world, and that they cannot stand. So uh, the decision to get out of the Human Rights Council, justified on many grounds, no doubt about it, I simply flag it for your listeners as an indication, I think, that the uh, president has a much larger view of, of uh, American sovereignty and American exceptionalism. This is one manifestation of it in a very egregious case, but uh, I think more will be coming here. So more to come. You know, I'm not encouraging this. You all will do what you want. I've said many times, at least on this radio show over the decade, decade and a half, we ought to create a new organization of relatively free countries and free countries, relatively democratic countries and democratic countries, and leave all the genocidal police states to their own organization. Is that something that you could foresee one day, if not in this administration, maybe one day in the future? Well, I think, I think that's the sort of thing that, uh, that we should aspire to uh, when we've dealt with a lot of the problems we've got today around the world. And but in the meantime, I think the uh, the most important thing is for the United States, and I know you agree with this, is to stick with its own constitution and not fall to the blandishments of others who say, oh, my goodness, this problem or that problem is so complicated. We have to give up American sovereignty to international organizations. Uh, we have to succumb to international law. We have to recognize Uh, some authority greater than that conferred by the legitimacy of our own Constitution. You know, I don't think for secular purposes, I'm leaving religious beliefs out here, of course, but for secular purposes, for purposes of government, I think it's very clear there's no higher law on earth than the U.S. Constitution. Uh, 
Uh, and that's something that the left gags on when they hear mm-hmm. it. Uh, but we've struck a small blow for that today in getting out of the Human Rights Council. As I say, there are many reasons to justify it. Ambassador Nikki Haley laid them out in her statement. Mike Pompeo uh, concurred in that. Uh, so it's a, it's a noteworthy decision in and of itself. Uh, but I just wanted people to know this is not the last we're going to hear uh, about the president's concern for our sovereignty. That's very exciting. And I know you're right because you've said it three times. So I know that's what you're Let me ask you this real fast. We only have a minute. Can you give us an example of some of the council members on this uh, or in this organization? Well, you know, you've had Iran. You've had the Congo. You've had, of course, Russia and China. Uh, are on it almost all the time. Uh, As I say, human rights abusers, countries that are really, that should be criticized, get on precisely to protect themselves from criticism uh, and to gang up on Israel. Uh, This is something we saw uh, over the course of the UN Human Rights Commission, which we got rid of in 2006, but the UN was incapable of really reforming it in this new manifestation, the Human Rights Council, which is why uh, I was proud to vote against it in 2006. I was proud we didn't join it. I was appalled when the Obama administration did join it. They had no success in making it better, and we've now acknowledged that, and President Trump has taken us out and defunded this organization. Well, John Bolton, I'm thankful you're there. Keep up the great work. you got quite a team there. God bless you, my friend. We much appreciate it. Well done today. We'll be right back. Mark Levin, the champion of liberty and true conservatism. Call Mark now, 877-381-3811. The... uh hearings today in the House were actually far superior to the hearings in the United States Senate with respect to the Inspector General of the Department of Justice, Michael Horowitz. And there were uh, several good back and forth. Now, Trey Gowdy's very good at these hearings. I wish he was good uh, at follow-up. He was the guy, you'll recall, a few weeks ago who said uh, he's defending the FBI and their use of an informant. He's never heard of an FBI spy. And we addressed that. It was so ridiculous. But he was in good form today. And I guess, as I say, he's always good at these hearings. He's good when he gets to the House floor. But when it really comes to uh, knuckle-dragging time, it's pretty tough. But still, he's entertaining. And uh, he was at the hearing on the Clinton email probe today. Let's listen to some of this. Cut four. Go. But that leads us to the one thing we did not see Jim Comey do. Which was take any steps to spur the appointment of special counsel in the Hillary Clinton investigation. When he lost confidence in the Trump Justice Department, he memorialized private conversations, he leaked them, and he admitted he did so to spur the appointment of special counsel because he didn't trust the career prosecutors at the Department of Justice. When he lost confidence in the Obama Justice Department, he didn't make special memos. He didn't share them with his law professor friends. He didn't leak the information. He didn't lift a finger to get special prosecutor. Instead, he appointed himself FBI director, attorney general, special counsel, lead investigator, and the general arbiter of what is good and right in the world, according to him. And one of the last times I spoke with Director Comey was in a committee hearing. We had a pointed exchange on what I thought was the FBI making decisions based in part on politics. 
And he, in his typically sanctimonious way, told me that he disagreed. He said the men and women of the FBI do not, quote, give a hoot about politics. Unfortunately, and I use that word intentionally, unfortunately, he was dead wrong. There were agents and attorneys at the FBI who gave a lot more than a hoot about politics. Cut five, go. There were FBI agents and attorneys who decided to prejudge the outcome of the Hillary Clinton case before the investigation ended. I want you to let that sink in for a second. They prejudged the outcome of the Hillary Clinton investigation before the investigation ended, and these exact same FBI agents and attorneys prejudged the outcome of the Russia investigation before it even began. If prejudging the outcome of an investigation before it ends and prejudging the outcome of an investigation before it begins is not evidence of outcome-determinative bias, for the life of me, I don't know what would be. That is textbook bias. It is quite literally the definition of bias, allowing something other than the facts to determine your decision. These agents were calling her president before she was even interviewed. They were calling for the end of the Trump campaign before the investigation even began. They were calling for impeachment simply because he happened to be elected. That is bias. And with all due respect, it's the FBI's job, not mine, to prove that bias can ever be harmless. Because I don't agree. I think bias is always harmful. Very good. Now, you didn't learn anything there. We've talked about this at some time, but it's very good that he pulled that all together, I think, the way that he did. Then there's some back and forth between the Inspector General and Jim Jordan, a terrific member of the House of Representatives. Cut one, go. Does Peter Strzok like the president? Um, I can only speak to what his text messages say, and they're obviously not positive comments about the president. February, March of 2016, Peter Strzok said, Trump's abysmal. Trump's an idiot. He's a bleeping idiot. Hillary should win 100 million to zero. Sounds to me like he hates the president. His text messages would certainly leave that as the implication. Your report says Strzok ran the Clinton investigation on a daily basis. Is that accurate? Uh, that's correct. And Peter Strzok, in your report, uh, he was the lead investigator on the Russian investigation. Is that true? That's my understanding for the time period he was on. So the guy, he ran the Clinton investigation, he runs the Russian investigation, and he hates the president. But your report says while his bias cast a cloud, it didn't impact final decisions. Is that accurate? It didn't impact the prosecutor's final decision. (laughs) Well, it's kind of silly. Now we have Chairman Goodlatte. They had a joint hearing here of the uh, House Oversight Committee and the House Judiciary Committee, Goodlatte being the chairman of the House Judiciary and Galley being chairman of the Oversight Committee. Some back and forth between Goodlatte and Horowitz. Cut two, go. Neither the Department of Justice nor the FBI are mentioned in the Constitution. However, each institution has engaged in repeated stonewalling of Congress's constitutionally mandated oversight. The infamous text from Peter Strzok saying, we will stop President Trump from taking office, which we received on the day of your report's release, is a prime example. This text was revealed to you late in your interview as well, as I understand. Do you believe this text shows political bias? Uh, I think as we found, it clearly shows a biased state of mind. Well, he won't say political bias. Now, as I said last week on Hannity TV, it's not sexual bias. It's not racial bias. It's not religious bias. Well, then what the hell kind of bias is it? 
Well, it's obviously political bias. Go ahead. If so, do you believe the political bias shown by this text had an effect on the initiation of the Russia investigation? I think, as you know, uh, Mr. Chairman, that's a matter we've got under review and are looking at right now. More, more to be determined on that. More to be determined. But the, the time proximity, as Mr. Gowdy pointed out, is significant. Correct. Correct. And in fact, there are these other text messages in a roughly the same time period. Now, that's interesting. That's interesting. Correct. Do we know when that report's coming out? I don't think we do yet. That will be the other shoe to drop. Now, here is Horowitz with some back and forth with Gowdy today. Cut three, go. Uh, Inspector General Horowitz, if one of your investigators talked about Lisa Page and Peter Strzok the way they talked about Donald Trump, would you have left them on the IG investigation? Uh, No. Did you ever have an agent when you were a prosecutor with this level of bias? Uh, You know, as I've laid out here, I thought this was completely antithetical to the core values of the department and extremely serious. Can you speak up, please? I'm sorry. Um, I heard you. But you can say it where Mr. Nadler can hear you, too. I, um, you know, my view of this was that this was extremely serious, completely antithetical to the core values. In my personal view, having been a prosecutor and worked with FBI agents, I can't imagine FBI agents suggesting even that they might use their powers to um, investigate, frankly, any candidate for any office. Now, let's stop right there. Should that not be the national headline on every news program tonight? Should that not be the national headline on every news program tonight, that an Obama-appointed inspector general, who's obviously a relatively objective man, as best as I can tell, I know people have fault with the report here and there, but look, It's still a devastating report. It underscores much of what we know, plus some. Should that not be tonight's headline? But for the separation of parents and children and so forth uh, that was occurring in the prior administration. And we'll get into this. Don't worry. But I'm saying this is incredible. Absolutely incredible. Go ahead. Let me ask you this in conclusion. I think you've already you you laid out in your opening that Peter Strzok's obsession with Donald Trump and the Russia investigation may have led him to take his eyes off of the Wiener laptop and um, in a a, uh, notably ironic way uh, caused Jim Comey to be a little bit later in sending those letters to Congress. So that is one example of outcome determinative bias. Uh, but I got to ask you, you used to used to be in a courtroom. You were on the side of the United States and you work for the Department of Justice. If someone is prejudging the outcome of an investigation before it ends and someone is prejudging the outcome of an investigation before it even begins, <laughs> what is more textbook bias than prejudging this investigation before it's over and this one before it begins. I am struggling to find a better example of outcome determinative bias than that. So what am I missing? Well, I think uh, certainly with regard to the Russia investigation you mentioned, as you know, we are looking at that in an ongoing way. Uh, With regard to the Clinton email investigation, I think as we lay out here and go through it, we looked at 
text messages, emails, documents to try and assess whether the specific decisions that we were asked to look at and then the ultimate prosecutorial decision were impacted by Strzok Page and the others' views. And what we ended up finding, particularly as to the prosecutor's decision, was um, that that was a decision they made exercising their discretion on their view of the policy, the law, and the facts as it was found. Um, we've laid that out. And in our view, we didn't find or see um, evidence that the prosecutors were impacted by that bias. Um, but as I mentioned in my opening statement, the idea here was to put out the facts um, for the public, members of Congress to see, and, um, and so that folks who want to take a look at those issues obviously can um, assess them themselves. Well, I'll assess it. When you have the FBI director who goes out there in July 2016, and says that Hillary did this and Hillary did that and it's administrative this and it's procedural that, but no prosecutor would bring charges. You need specific intent, not gross negligence, and so uh, she should not be prosecuted. That makes it pretty tough for any prosecutor to say, no, I disagree with the FBI. And think about this. When the prosecutor brings the case, he needs the support of the FBI the investigators who are on the case. And if the investigators on the case are in the tank for the target of the person who's being prosecuted, it's almost an impossible task. So of course it influenced the outcome. Whatever the state of mind of the prosecutors, that's beside the point. They fixed this case. Fixed it, by, by that I mean... They were special pleaders for Hillary Clinton. They made it virtually impossible for a prosecutor to bring a case on the way that they used their bias. With the media and their leaks, the investigation was very shoddy. And, of course, the public statement by Comey. So when you put that together, the prosecutors are handicapped in a way that's almost impossible to bring a case against the Democrat nominee for president of the United States. You know, you need to have all your ducks in a row. And if you're going to be sabotaged from within by senior officials at the FBI, including the lead investigator, who doesn't believe she should be charged, I mean, if I'm defense counsel, I'd drag his ass right up front there and have the whole jury hear him. So I was surprised Gowdy didn't really laser focus on that, and I am surprised by Horowitz's comment that, well, the prosecutors weren't politically motivated. No, but the prosecutors, politically motivated or not, really isn't the issue. It became impossible for them to bring the case because the case was sabotaged by Stroke, by Page, by Comey, by McCabe, and all the others. That's the reason. That's the problem. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. to pile on. May I ask a question? This Hillary Clinton investigation. Where's the leadership of the Justice Department? It's my understanding that Sessions' recusal is rather broad. Anything involving the campaign, not just Russia. 
Where's Rosenstein? I mean, what the hell's going on here? Where are these people? Every one of these FBI agents should have their ticket pulled, should have their ass kicked out of the Department of Justice. They should take action against them in the uh, civil service uh, procedures to strip them of their civil service positions, to strip them of their pensions, and refer them over to the United States Attorney in Washington, D.C. to make a determination if they committed any crimes. Now, they were quick to trigger a special counsel when they had nothing against Donald Trump. Now we have almost a 600-page Inspector General report. There's no question these individuals interfered with a presidential election. There's no question that they obstructed justice, in my view. There's no question they put the fix in for Hillary to support her and the fix in for Trump to try and defeat him. Every single administrative act that can be taken should be taken to rid the taxpayers of these barnacles and to determine whether any crimes were committed. And you don't need to go back 12 years like Manafort, who's sitting in solitary confinement tonight. Equal justice. Isn't that what they always say? Equal justice. Is this equal justice? My ass, it's equal justice. Anyway, here we are. Um, where am I, Mr. Producer? Oh, I wanted to tell to uh, let all the fans of Levin TV out there know about a special offer we have going on right now, and all the fans of this radio show, for that matter. We wanted to make it a little bit easier for all of our subscribers and our biggest fans to get the best pricing on Levin TV and the rest of the CRTV network. So we came up with our best offer yet. Now you can get a three-year subscription to CRTV for only $199. That's only $5.53 a month. And if you've been a fan of Levin TV or my radio show for a while now, you know we're in this for the long haul, and we hope you will be too. There's no other place online where you'll get the truth unfiltered and uncensored. Give us a call right now at 844-LEVIN-TV, 844-LEVIN-TV, and mention this ad to get three years of CRTV for the equivalent of only $5.53 a month. Man, that is a great deal. Set up as quick and easy, and you'll be ready to watch in five minutes. Give us a call right now, 844-LEVIN-TV, and we'll get you set up. That's 844-LEVIN-TV. You know, sometimes I wonder, folks, if I made the right career decision. I'm telling you the truth. Sometimes I wonder. I'm not talking about Levin TV and Fox and writing books and broadcasting on radio. I'm talking about maybe I should have done podcasting instead of terrestrial radio. What do you think of that, Mr. Producer? Very interesting. Well, I'll mull that over, maybe over the weekend when I have time. You folks out there, would you listen to me if I were podcasting? Just wondering. Would you be listening to the show? I think you would. I think we'd be the biggest conservative podcast in the nation. I really believe it. Okay, here. I don't have my call screen up, Mr. Call Screener, Mr. Producer. Give me a good call. Chicago on the Mark Levin app. Jeremy, go. 
Oh, for come on. Jeremy, are you there? Yeah, what? What? Okay, Nevada, what? Jim in Nevada, go ahead. Okay. Hey, uh, yeah, um, your comment a few minutes ago about the horror Sure, you on the uh, speakerphone or the car phone? Why can't I understand you? Uh, sorry. Can you hear better now? All right, hold on, pal. We'll get to you after the uh, top of the hour. Folks, you got to be on a clear line or nobody can hear you. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, There are uh, media outlets on the various websites who are monitoring conservatives and their comments as they relate to this latest immigration issue. And I hope they're monitoring mine, and I hope they're listening very carefully now, because I have a few things to say. This is not a human rights issue. This is the United States of America. We do not have concentration camps. We do not have internment camps. The left had an opportunity to address this issue of separating parents from children, and they did nothing. The media had an opportunity to report on this any time in the last decade or more, and they did nothing. The left and the media, one and the same, do not care about children. I know they don't care about children. Because they won't even identify children who are children. You can't even have a discussion about late-term abortion without being dismissed as a kook or a religious freak. And I come to this issue of abortion not even from a religious perspective, from a scientific perspective, from a humanity perspective. Millions and millions and millions of babies killed in the womb when they could survive outside the womb. We don't even do that to to dogs. And I have to hear these lectures about the children and the children. We know damn well what's going on in this country. They want open borders. They do not want to secure the borders. About 30 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, the Democrat Party switched positions. It was the Democrat Party It was Ralph Abernathy. It was Walter Mondale. The Latino groups at the time who went down to the southern border to stop illegal immigrants from coming in here as they tried to organize unions around Latinos who were in this country, the Farm Workers Union. The Democrat Party was trying to protect the AFL-CIO and the Teamsters Union. They didn't want cheap labor coming into this country. And now they have flipped because they have figured this is how they can get ultimately voters. This is how they can get ultimately supporters. This is how they can increase the ranks of their union membership and their non-union membership. That is other organizations too. 
This country does not exist for the Democrat Party. This country does not exist for the progressive media in this country. And they wrap themselves in compassion. Really, compassion. When they call a baby a choice. When they call a baby a choice. When they racialize every issue. The Democrat Party, its leadership, is anti-American institutions. What kind of party doesn't want to secure its borders? What kind of a party doesn't believe in national sovereignty? What kind of party doesn't want to make sure only people who are here as citizens should vote? What kind of a party doesn't believe that a state has the right to clear up its voting rolls if people haven't voted? It is a party that wants to win by hook or by crook. It's a party that wants to win whether the courts, uh, they can use the courts, the bureaucracy, or the elections. It doesn't matter. When they lose elections, they turn to the unelected parts of the government. When they win elections, they're off to the races. They don't care about little kids or they would demand that we secure the border. So little kids don't have to come through Central America and Mexico. Little girls being raped and molested. If we secured the border, there'd be a lot less of that going on. They wouldn't be traveling to the United States. There wouldn't be families being separated. And by the way, most of the separation occurs by the parents south of the border who send their kids up here without them. They say they care about the kids. Really? skyrocketing membership in MS-13 under Barack Obama. They care about the kids, they say. I'll even take it further. What about school choice? Making sure that kids, particularly minorities in poor neighborhoods, go to the best schools, not necessarily the school down the street, but the best schools that they can go to. Why don't we prioritize our national resources and state and local resources that way? I'll tell you why. Because they're in bed with the NEA and the AFT. They don't care about their kids. They don't care about their education. If they did, they would join the school choice movement. But they fight it. They fight it. They care about the kids. My, No, they don't care about the kids. The American children in this country, they don't call them dreamers. I've been saying this for years. Illegal alien kids are dreamers. Even before they hit our, our border, they're dreamers. Our kids, the kids are deplorables. So they must be deplorables too. The purpose of immigration isn't to feed the ranks of the Democrat Party. The purpose of immigration is not, is not to serve as an outlet for every failed culture country and government that exists in the world. The purpose of immigration in our country is to improve our country. We, the American people, get to decide who comes. We, the American people, get to decide how they come into the country. We, the American people, have the right to demand absolute allegiance to this country. We, the American people, have the right to insist that criminals may not come in. And we have the right to demand that our government protect us. Now, 
what the Democrat Party wants. What the Democrat Party wants is not so much for the parent to be united with the child. They want them both to be free to come into this country and disappear into the interior of the country. And then after we have this most recent round of amnesty, whether it's under a Republican or a Democrat president is of no consequence to me, then we'll have another round of amnesty 10 years from now, 15 years from now. What are you going to do? They were here as kids. They only know English. They only know America. What are you going to do? Send them back? They're now 30 years old. Over and over. I've heard it. Over and over for 35 years. The Democrats are thinking down the road. They want a one-party state like California. A one-party state. Isn't that working out great? A one-party state pretty much like New York. Isn't that working out great? A one-party state like Illinois. All bankrupt. All disasters. They want a one-party country. Which would be the end of everything. They claim when it benefits them to support the Constitution. But they reject the Constitution. Over and over again they support judges who reject the Constitution. They embrace the Bill of Rights when it helps them. They reject it when it doesn't help them. It's about power. It's about centralizing power. This issue over immigration is a fake issue. If it was a real issue, where the hell were the media six months ago? Well, Mark, uh, Sessions changed the policies, fully enforcing it. Oh, I see. So under Obama, if it was enforced, say, 50% of the time, that was okay because separating families... 50% of the time is okay by our media. Is that the new standard? What a joke. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Washington right now that the Democrats view this issue, this immigration issue, as Trump's Katrina. And this is underscored by the Hill newspaper. Schumer rejects Republican proposal to address border crisis. Senate Democratic leader Charles Schumer dismissed a legislative proposal backed by Republican leaders to keep immigrant families together at the border, arguing that President Trump can fix the problem more easily with a flick of his pen. There's so many obstacles to legislation. When the president can do it with his own pen, it makes no sense, Schumer told reporters. Legislation is not the way to go here when it's so easy for the president to sign it. Now, that is a pathetic fraud. He does not want this fixed. None of them do. Because, after all, it actually started under them. Did you hear what I said? It started under them. They don't want to fix this any more than they want to fix health care, any of the rest of it. Turmoil is the name of the game. And then you blame the opposition. I wanted my buddy Daniel Horowitz of Conservative Review uh, to join us, uh, senior editor there and uh, expert on many things, including immigration. Daniel, how are you? I'm doing all right as a stranger in my own country. Can you imagine, hear what Schumer just pulled? You heard what I just said? 
Oh, you know, I actually agree with Chuck Schumer. With a flick of the pen, the president could shut this down. I mean, Section 212F of the INA gives him the full authority to shut down all immigration when he deems it in the national interest. And what greater national interest um, for both sides? You know, we care about the drugs and the I actually think you're missing the point on this one. (laughs) The point is this is politics through and through, right? And so what's happening is Schumer's trying to just pin it on Trump. If the Democrats want to make a big issue out of this, uh, then the, uh, the Republicans have to fight back. Now, if your point is that both parties are into the open borders game, I got that. But this is a little different to me. When did this issue of separating parents and children, when did this really start? So th- th- this started a long time ago. Um, you know, we had this so-called Flores Agreement in 1997 where, once again, it's always the courts getting involved. They say that we cannot uh, detain unaccompanied alien children, and most of them, as you well know, they're not really unaccompanied because they're being trafficked by their parents who are already in the country illegally, but we cannot hold them for more than 20 days. But what is critical under Obama, there's a name all your listeners should know, Judge Dolly G of the Central District of California in June 2015. She applied this agreement not just to children coming to the border alone, but to family units, meaning she said that you can't even detain in order to deport children when they're together with their parents. So meaning you have to release the children. Um, and that, that necessitated uh, separating the families. And, now and let's slow down. She's a liberal judge, no doubt, trying to let these kids out. And it's backfired on them. Go ahead. Absolutely. And, and even Obama's DOJ warned about it at the time. <clears throat> we wrote about it at Conservative Review. Now, they only half-heartedly fought it to the Ninth Circuit but didn't appeal it to the Supreme Court. So we're basically stuck with this policy all because of one district judge. And by the way, 72% of these family units are actually coming to Texas which is not even under the jurisdiction of the Ninth Circuit. And I think the administration should challenge this in the Fifth Circuit. Mm -hmm. Now, the president is taking a strong stand, and he's saying, look, this is the way it's been. We're enforcing the law. I I find it funny, too. Reporters out there saying when the president says it's the law, uh, they're saying, no, there is no such law. But the fact is, it is the law when you cobble together what's taken place prior to Trump being president. Is it not? No, it, it, it's absolutely the law, and, and ironically, they say the law is that they have to be released, but like I just said, that's not the law. That's one district judge who, by the way, Judge Hannon of the Southern District of Texas, in an order in 2013, kind of indicated he doesn't agree with that interpretation of the Flores Agreement. So this is really – this is not the Supreme Court. It's an extrapolation of one district judge, the, the um, real – the real decision, the real statutes that we have say that everyone has to be detained, um, you know, pending removal. And, and, and that is actually mandated for criminal aliens. And a lot of these people are criminals. And this has gotten so bad, this incentive to come with kids, that now a lot of these individuals are kidnapping kids in order to come here. Where's the compassion in that? Isn't the answer to deport them all? That, that, that's exactly the answer. And As a family unit, deport the family. You just came here illegally. 
Uh, we're only vetting you to determine if you're here legally or not. If you came through the right process, you didn't. So you and your children get to go home. And again, like I started out with, I mean, I think the president is headed in this direction. He spoke very strongly today. But let's never forget when we wrangle in the court cases and the statutes, there's something very philosophical that you spoke to at the beginning of this hour. There's something called sovereignty. We control who comes in here. Nobody could ever assert jurisdiction unilaterally. Ultimately, if the president wants to shut this down, he can. The president, like I said, he has delegated authority from Congress to shut down, you know, even legal immigration, family-based, employment-based, certainly asylum at the border. He could say that all the asylum claims must be filed in the Mexico City embassy. And also, just I just want to quote one case of North v. Shanassi. In 1950, the exclusions of aliens is a fundamental act of sovereignty. The right to do so stems not alone from legislative power, but is inherent in the executive power to control the foreign affairs. Well, you know, judicial precedent only matters until the left controls the courts and change it. Uh, As you know, they always talk about stare decisis, stare decisis, and then when they change a decision, they don't talk about that anymore. I mean, it's it's heads we win, tails we win. That's the rule. It's, it's unbelievable, but this is really the biggest threat. But, but isn't the Democrat, isn't what they want is to let all these illegal aliens in, in the name of the children? Isn't that what they're really pushing for? Well, that's exactly the trap. They say you can't separate families, so what they're essentially saying is that all the traffickers themselves must also be let go along with them. Um, and, and also, I think, Mark, what's very important is for years they were saying, look, there's a logistical and moral problem about deporting those already here for many, many years, and and they're so American and all that. What this demonstrates is that they are adamantly opposed to anything that will deter future waves of immigration. We're all talking about future waves, people coming in right now. This is not even about DACA or five years ago, ten years ago. This is right now. They want perpetual open borders. They want your point. I think I mentioned it. I want to underscore what I think you're saying. So these people come in illegally. They go into the country because we're not going to vet them. And then 10 years from now, we're exactly in the same place. And how can you deport these people? This is the only place they know and their children and so that's the plan, isn't it? Yep. I mean, it's amazing. In 1986, Chuck Schumer was a big sponsor of the original amnesty he warned that we were in, quote, uncharted waters and we don't know what's going to happen. Well, now we know what happened. And he was responsible for five more amnesties since then. But, you know, we just don't call him out on it. Thankfully, the president was strong today. Daniel Horowitz, hold on. I want to carry you through the bottom of the hour. We're not finished here. We'll be right back. your tongue? Cough up a furball and call 877-381-3811 right now from Mike Levin. There are so many obstacles to legislation, and when the president can do it with his own pen, it makes no sense. Ryan, the president signing it, attaching it to things that are unacceptable. Legislation is not the way to go here when it's so easy for the president to sign it. It's an excuse. Yes, yes. The Democrats and their pen stuff is really quite remarkable. 
You know, nothing can put a dent into your summer plans quite like your car breaking down. You're hit with a huge repair bill out of nowhere, and all the money you save for an island getaway now has to pay to fix your car. So, um, well, when you have extended vehicle protection like I do from CarShield, you don't have to worry about these unwelcome surprises. CarShield makes the process of fixing your car for a covered repair super easy. You can have your favorite mechanic or dealership do the work. It's your choice. They also provide you 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is being fixed for free. Now, if your car has 5,000 to 150,000 miles, it doesn't mean you have to pay high car repairs or high repair bills. CarShield administrators have paid out close to $2 billion in claims, and they're ready to help you. Save yourself thousands in future car repairs, and don't worry about missing out this summer. Get covered by the ultimate in extended vehicle protection like I did. Call 800-CAR-6100 and mention code LEVIN or visit carshield.com and use code LEVIN to save 10%. That's carshield.com, code L-E-V-I-N, or call 800-CAR-6100, mention code LEVIN, a deductible may apply. Now, we have Car Shield in our 2010 Camaro, and... Um, it's a great car, but I'm glad I have the car shield, and you should consider it too. Back to Daniel Horowitz, conservative review. Now, if they say the president can act on his own, and the president should act on his own, here's what the Democrats are doing, Daniel Horowitz. They don't want to build a wall. They don't want to secure the border. They don't want to end chain migration. They don't want to end the lottery. They are organized against the current citizenship, uh, citizenry of the United States. They want to change the, uh, the voter. Uh, they want to change the, the demographics. All for power. And I have to say, I think the president's doing exactly the right thing, saying, no, you know what? We have a few other issues that we need to push here. And notice, Daniel Horowitz, how the progressive media jump right in and regurgitate exactly what the Democrats say. Go ahead. You know, what I find amazing is that Many of us at Conservative Review, we've been focusing on this issue and the problems with the gangs and the drugs and everything for the last three, four years since the surge of, of UACs and, and just all the ills of the, of the sex trafficking, the rapes at the border, and nobody cared about the issue. Mm-hmm. The minute they make it— Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You weren't contacted by CNN? Never. MSNBC? Never. CBS, ABC, NBC? Not even Fox. <laughs> New York Times. Uh, yeah. Uh, the Washington Post? No. No, nothing. Unbelievable. Nothing. It, and, and, and you know what? Even the Washington Post has been reporting about the epidemic of MS-13 in our schools. But what's ironically lost on them is where that came from. It came from the very UACs that they're advocating for. And you know what's so tragic about it? They've written about stories where these young 14-year-old girls are raped by MS-13, not in Honduras, in Montgomery County, PG County, Maryland. And we're doing them no favors by having cross-border migration, bringing in all the bad people, they're supposedly fleeing violence in Honduras, only to come to the violence we prepare for them here. Um, you know, so the president is absolutely right to say we're going to shut this down. But I'm just warning that every last thing he does will be taken straight to California judges. The ACLU is already doing that, and uh, they're going to encumber this stuff for years. Isn't that one of the reasons why Schumer doesn't want legislation? 
oh, that's exactly why judicial amnesty is much more potent than legislative amnesty, and he doesn't have to take the flack from the electorate for it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's amazing to me. Here you have the president who wants to go through the legislative process, and the Democrat Party says no. But isn't that par for the course? For them, they want to get wherever they want to go, regardless of how they get there. Isn't that the truth? You know where else you see this, Mark? You've talked about this a lot. There's this sudden emergency, national emergency for criminal justice reform. Again, where is this headed? In almost every state, Soros has an agenda to get felons to vote. It's always about more votes. It's never about compassion. They use that as a tool, but the ultimate end is more votes. But sadly, you know, you had 12 Senate Republicans write a letter to Trump yelling at him about separating families, but they never show what their solution is, what they want to do. So there's really one of two solutions. One, they get to stay. Two, they all have to go. Is there something I'm missing? I guess it's possible. If you want them united, that's the only way. They want everyone united in this country. And, Mark, what's really dangerous is right now the government of Venezuela is collapsing. The country is collapsing. There's two million migrants there. If we telegraph the message that anyone who comes here with a kid and says they have a credible fear of persecution at home, they're here to stay, guess what? We now have America, Syria in the Western Hemisphere. That's what Venezuela will be to us. Now, let me ask you about this issue of asylum. Now, you have people coming from Central America through Mexico. Aren't they supposed to stop at Mexico? Exactly. I mean, according to the Geneva Convention, once you have the first safe country um, to cross through, they must assert asylum there. Or at the very least, they could request asylum in America, but do so in the Mexico City Embassy. This was done in the 1990s, and, and that's something I think the administration should look at. So Mexico really is facilitating a lot of this, isn't, isn't it? I, I think a big part of the leverage is not just immigration policy, but statecraft through the State Department. Um, you know, I, I hear they might be doing this, but I hope the administration is using the NAFTA negotiations to demand that Mexico do its share to secure its border, or at least allow us to construct a facility there to process the claims, because the key is the American people need a safety valve from this. This cannot be done on our soil with the risk of of all these people being released. It has to be done outside the country, and and that's the only controlled environment where we could bring in the the, the legitimate asylees. Isn't the real reason the Mexicans don't want us to secure this border, the Mexican government, is not just, is not just for them in terms of their population, but to prevent the population of Central America that's coming into this country from stopping and staying in their country. Isn't that part of it? Oh, that's exactly the, the deal. I mean, believe me, you want to see some lessons about securing the border and interior enforcement. Uh, You look at the Mexican government, um, you don't have substantive due process and judicial amnesty there. So, uh, you know, that's exactly the point. But if we made it clear that no claims can be filed on our soil, that bottleneck will start bubbling up in Mexico. And believe me, they'll start cooperating very quickly. I just want to make clear to the American people who are listening to this program, what's going on here is the Democrat Party and the media want the adult and the children released into our country who come here illegally. It's that simple. That's their agenda. That's what they want. 
And that way, five years, ten years from now, we go through this whole DACA amnesty rigmarole as we do about every 10 or 15 years as it is, and you'll hear the same arguments. What do you want to do? Divide families? What do you want to do? Send children back to this place or that place? What do you want to do? Yank them out of college? That's exactly what's going on. They are preparing for the next round of amnesty even before we've given them another round of amnesty. This is really scary. Um, Like I always say, even during the bowels of the the Warren era of, of the Supreme Court, the, the notion that we have sovereignty, that there is no right to immigrate here, to remain in the country, held firm. And now we are completely erasing all of those legal norms. And, you know, look, you, know, you, you, you look in the dictionary, sovereignty is defined as free from external control of countries, independent authority, and right to self-govern itself. I'm afraid we're rapidly approaching the time when we're no longer a self-governing republic. Don't you feel, Daniel Horowitz, I've been making this point, that more and more we are a country that works for the Democrat Party rather than the other way around? This is what I can't relate to. I can't understand how with a a, a drug crisis – Congress passed 60 bills this week to deal with the opioid crisis, which they won't define. Everyone recognizes that's a problem. Don't we want to stop the flow from Mexico? I mean, shouldn't, shouldn't we get that for free? But again, we work for the Democrat Party, because otherwise, why should we have to barter any amnesty to get security? I, I just don't understand it. That's a violation of the social contract. But, you know... No, no, this is a very important point. Your point is... National sovereignty, securing the border, should not be a negotiation. It should be a fact. Exactly. We could argue and debate over philosophy, over how many immigrants we want through our legal system, how much employment, family-based. But this is something, especially after five years of seeing the surge in drugs and criminal aliens. I mean, you look at the numbers that DOJ just put out from Texas alone, over 600,000 crimes from illegals in Texas alone over the last seven years. And those are just the ones that were fingerprinted by DHS. You can imagine the ones they never caught. And that's just one state. I mean, this is unbelievable. It's a breach of the social contract. Yet you watch even Republicans, when it comes to the concerns of foreign nationals, they, they, they just can't control themselves. But nothing that happens to Americans as a result of illegal immigration will spawn them to action. You know, Daniel Horowitz, it always gets down to the Constitution and the rule of law. If you don't have law and order, just law and order, that's uh, legitimate, that is uh, predictable, uh, that is enforced, you lose your country. Whether it's Venezuela, whether it's us 20, 30 years from now, 10 years from now, whether it's any other country – you have the, the progressive push for anarchy. Let me ask you if you agree with this. I've been making the point that if you take progressivism to its logical extreme, you have tyranny, you have autocracy. Some of it is harsher than others, but that's what you get. When you take constitutional republicanism to its extreme, you have constitutional republicanism. You have liberty and private property rights and, and, uh, and a market system and so forth and so on. And so it really amazes me that we don't make the case that if you listen to these people on the left, the Schumers, the media, and so forth and so on, they're going to take us in a direction we don't want to go. On the other hand, from our perspective, our beliefs, values, principles, and so forth, you won't. You know, I, Mark, I absolutely agree because, as you always say, unalienable rights are rooted in negative action. 
not legal positivism. I don't exactly. have a right to your property. I just want to be left alone. If you watch what the Democrats are doing, what the courts are doing, and you, you look at national sovereignty, which is really national property rights and individual sovereignty, bake the damn cake. I have the right to your property, but you don't have the right to your property. I have the right to come into your country and unilaterally assert jurisdiction, but you don't have the right to do anything to protect your people. They're acting as if Trump is going down to Honduras and taking action and dividing families when really we are just here minding our own business as a president. He's trying to protect his people, and they're saying he cannot do that, but other forces could actively violate that. It's all rooted in property rights, and it's been flipped on its head. Daniel Horowitz, a conservative review. One of the great uh, young thinkers out there, but smart people. I appreciate it. Thank you, my friend. God bless. Take care. You too. I, <laughs> as a footnote to all this, I love these individuals or groups or websites who deign who the modern intellectuals are or are not. You just heard one. Daniel Horowitz. Top of the line thinker. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Hillsdale College. Man, I love this place. As high schoolers graduate, are they heading to places where they'll learn why America is the world's freest nation? That we're the first country founded on the principle that all men are created equal? Will they be taught the Constitution, our rich history, or what makes America great? You know, there's a place where students study these truths. It's called Hillsdale College. At Hillsdale, students study what is true, good, and beautiful. By putting in the work to understand these things, students graduate ready to lead. As Vice President Pence said at commencement this year, Hillsdale students learn not what to do, but what to be. Hillsdale also offers its stellar education to you. Through in Primus, free online courses like Constitution 101, every American can learn like a Hillsdale student from the same professors. Most remarkably of all, Hillsdale provides this service to our nation without taking a single penny of taxpayer money, local, state, or federal. That's amazing. Not one penny. I encourage you to learn how Hillsdale can serve you at a website just for you, my beloved audience. LevinforHillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. LevinforHillsdale.com. Josh, California, Maryland. Oh, man, you got them both. That's a twofer. On the Mark Levin app, how are you, sir? Hey, doing well, Mark. How are you? Very well, thank you. Yeah, uh, I just wanted to call and say uh, thank you for all that you do. Um, I'm currently getting my MBA right now. One of the classes that we take is uh, business ethics, and uh, you know, just listening to you for about a year and a half now, and um, you know, all that you talk about with you know, whether it be business or Milton Friedman, John Locke, and Hayek, is just all their all their arguments and everything that they say. You just you make the arguments so much easier when I get into the class and. You know, and not that it's that hard to begin with, but um, it, uh, yeah, it's just, um, it needs to be said. And I, I really thank you for everything that you do. Well, sir, I thank you. I happen to know what you do because it's up here on the board, and I won't announce it unless you want me to. And I, it's a great honor, and thank you for your service. I'll tell you what, don't hang up, Josh. I want to send you a copy of uh, Rediscovering Americanism and the Tyranny of Progressivism. Don't hang up, and thank you again for your service. I appreciate it. Barbara, Flushing, New York, the great WABC. Go. Hey, Mark. 
Uh, I am actually thrilled to death to hear that the U.S. is out of that uh, human rights show. Yes. I was 20 years old when I left Australia, and I joined. I, I was recruited in Australia to come to the U.N. They couldn't find enough secretaries here locally, so they came to Australia to hire. A lot of us came, a lot of smart girls who could read and write. Anyway, I stayed in the U.N. on a U.N. visa for 12 years. You know, when I started, I started to smarten up, though, politically, and I couldn't handle it any longer, and I quit. I got my green card and ultimately my citizenship. This UN is, is corrupt to the core. Mm-hmm. One of the things that pisses me off, I used to watch the, 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 all these third world people who would come in their, you know, their $1,000 suits, all driving around in limousines. They all lived in the Upper West Side. They all came from piss poor countries, mind you. Yeah, starving people, but that was all right. That was all part of the cause, I suppose. Anyway, as far as I'm concerned, this headquarters, there should be, this, you know, the massive building down there on 42nd Street. There should be a university or a schools or, or housing. And, I'm, you know, I don't want my taxes to support this, this rotten, corrupt uh, group. Or maybe build a new detention center for the adults who come across the border oh, illegally. Well, there you are. Aren't you the clever one? Never I really am. Aren't yes. you? T- right to the top of the class, my friend. <laughs> but let's take our millions and walk away from this rotten, rotten... Uh, it, it, it's just a rotten shooting match, that's all it is. And I'm asking all of, this, all of you lovely people who are listening to our, our special, special mark, start, let's start pushing our electeds to shut this rotten vermin in Yeah, and I, I meant when I said to, uh, to John Bolton, which is, we need to create an alternative. I've been saying this since I've been on radio, an alternative, an organization of free countries that embrace democracy or republicanism and let the genocidal maniacs have their own little meetings somewhere else. All right, my friend. Thank you, Barbara. We'll be right back. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. You know, folks... And I'm not encouraging you to do it. I'm just pointing something out. When you read my books, Liberty and Tyranny, Ameritopia, The Liberty Amendments, Plunder and Deceit, Rediscovering Americanism, and my first book, Men in Black on the Court, they're all written for a reason, and they're all written in an, in an intended order. You read those books over a course of years, you will understand. You will understand the philosophy that undergirds this nation's founding. You will understand the philosophy that undergirds the notion of individualism, liberty, Capitalism, the entire notion of a civil society, 
you will have a very good working knowledge of our constitutional system. You will also have a working knowledge and an understanding of the forces that oppose everything I just said, because in each and every book, I present you both of them. Now, there are people running around or running in a pack of 10 or 12 who seek desperately to draw attention to themselves and self-identify as modern John Locke's or Edmund Burke's or Adam Smith's or you name it. They're not. They're not. They're barely scholars. I don't pretend to be any of those people. I try to explain them and present them to you. And far more than that. And far more than that. Most of the people who've written their books will not even be a footnote to a footnote in history. That's okay. But I happen to think there's a dearth of intellectual firepower in the conservative movement these days. Partly because of the egomaniacal people who who claim to lead it or claim to be the scholars behind it or the intellectuals in front of it or you name it. There's nothing particularly profound about what they say or write. In fact, it's quite predictable. There's a reason why most of my books have 200 to 250, sometimes 300 footnotes. They call them endnotes now. We used to call them footnotes. Because I believe in giving credit where credit is due. I also want to encourage people to say, wait, that's an interesting thought, or I hadn't thought of that. Where can I find the original source? The notion that there is a Bill Buckley today is a false notion. There isn't one. Or Milton Friedman today, there isn't one. Because these men, these individuals, were not only brilliant, were not only consequential, but they could effectively communicate with a mass number of people. Even before there was such a thing as conservative talk radio or the Fox News Channel. Their ideas and their ability to present their ideas and bond with millions and millions of people was truly extraordinary and unique. If you have to claim to be an intellectual or claim to be a scholar or claim to be among the intellectuals and scholars, that's embarrassing. It's ridiculous. You don't get to make that decision as the author or the so-called thinker. We, the people, get to make that decision. In terms of people who write books, who we call conservatives, most of their books don't sell. Most people don't read their columns. Most people don't know who they are unless they appear on TV or radio. So maybe, posthumously, 
they'll be noticed or recognized in a significant way. Or maybe not. I don't know. But I find it bizarre, these pretenders to intellectualism. Now, I've written these books, which have been hugely, hugely successful because of you. You want to read them. You want to know about it. We get callers all the time who want to hear these things. When I go to a book signing, people thank me for using radio differently than every other host in the nation. And I am appreciative of it. But my head, I don't get a big head over it. I've started my eighth book. Don't forget I wrote Rescuing Sprite, which is actually my favorite book. About my dogs. But I've started my eighth book. I dare not tell you the subject matter because, you know, I, I don't I don't want the uh, the pretenders to jump in and do their thing. I'm doing my thing. But it's it's not an opus on any particular thing. <clears throat> I don't know that it'll be inscribed for the ages or, or uh, read for the ages. But it doesn't matter. You do the best you can when you do them. It takes me a year. Sometimes it takes me 16 months to gather my thoughts, to do my research, to decide what I think makes sense, what might interest you, and so forth and so on. I can tell you I do not write books for mass sales. It just happens that way. I had no idea Liberty and Tyranny would sell one and a half million copies. But what's interesting is many of these same people who self-proclaim or self-declare their intellectual significance would dare not read one of my books or dare not review one of my books. Isn't that bizarre? If I knew there was somebody out there that writes a book on a particular aspect of philosophy or conservatism or whatever it is, and they're selling a quarter of a million every time they write a book, in some case they sell more than that, wouldn't that intrigue you? Wouldn't that intrigue you, Mr. Producer? Particularly if you claim to be an expert in a particular genre or an intellectual or a scholar. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that make you at least curious? I've gone it alone most of my career. I just have. Whether it's radio... Levin TV, on Fox, or writing, I pretty much go it alone. You would be amazed, and I'm not going to tell you, because I'm not allowed to, of the crap I have to put up with just to do this radio show. You would be amazed. Once the light's on and the microphone's on, that's when the fun begins. Once I'm off the air, that's when it ends for radio. The people that I have to deal with, I'm not talking about affiliates, program directors, I'm not talking about them. The people that I have to deal with, it's just unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I don't know how I get on the air every day and do what I do. But I do it. I do it because I love radio. I love my audience, you, I love talking about ideas. I love pushing back against the left. 
I love all these things. So that's why I do it. All right. I want you to listen to this montage of CNN and MSNBC. I salute our buddies at Newsbuster comparing Trump's immigration policy to the Holocaust, which is so disgraceful. I'm sure the, the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, will be all over this with their Obama head who runs the place. I'm sure he's all over the left on this. Cut 11, go. Well, the images suggest those of concentration camps, families being cut apart. I know children are being marched away to showers. I know they're being marched away to showers. Uh, are they uh, being told they are, just like the Nazis had, had, had said that they were taking people oh. to showers and then they never came back. You know, you know, Joe Scarborough, you are a loathsome buffoon. You really are the worst. Anyway, go ahead increasingly looks like Hitler in Nazi Germany. These look <laughs> oh. like concentration Dave, camps. Dave, it's rewarding it breaking our immigration laws. unusual punishment, John. I said this yesterday, but increasingly Donald Trump is turning this nation into Nazi Germany oh and turning these Lord. into concentration camps. What's happening is very American in that this is how the country was founded. This is what happened 76 years ago to uh, Japanese Americans in internment camps. Now look. I, I, I know we're not Nazi Germany, all right? But there is a commonality there. I know it will be controversial, but I felt a warning flare was Obviously, necessary. Obviously, you're so, so concerned about what's going on. Yeah. In our, all, all of us are so concerned. We see these heartbreaking images, uh, and it's, it's so, so awful. And this is a policy that is inhumane, indecent, un-American, completely dictatorial and like i said yesterday mm. they are the tactics that have been used through the through history by the worst purveyors all right enough you know you see this is why you, they demonstrate how much they love america don't they did you know we have nazi concentration camps and japanese internment camps in america and somehow you and i've missed it somehow the media missed it somehow the politicians missed it it's just right now that they exist now they'll tell you well it's different now you know because Trump's a hardliner. Sessions is a hardliner. And they're 100% enforcement. And so it's like never before. And he doesn't have to do this. Now, keep in mind, Obama did a lot of this. He was about 50%. About 50% of these circumstances, they separated families. But they didn't care, the media. They didn't care. They didn't care. It would be nice if they talked about American kids this way, but they don't. And as I brought up originally, and has been brought up by every talk show host since and every TV host since, look at our prisons. We have adults in our adult prisons. Adults. That means if they have children, the children aren't in the prisons with them. We separate adults from children. Does that mean those are Nazi concentration camps or Japanese internment camps? No. And there's your media. That's why you hate them. And you know what? You have every reason to hate them. They're disgusting. Now, montage of Democrats. We just did the media, now we're doing Democrats. Now, they'll sound exactly the same because they are exactly the same. They push the same agenda. The hate America first agenda. Cut 12, go. So it really is not just cynical, it is downright cruel and inhumane to literally hold children hostage 
as part of a larger, broader negotiation on immigration reform. Create a crisis, torture people, and then say, uh, we're going to blackmail you to stop so it. That's not proper. You, you, they're holding these kids hostage. The Trump administration's policy, which is now resulting in child internment camps. That's what I said, child internment camps. What we're doing to the little children, tearing them from their parents' arms, is very akin to what happened, I would say, to the Japanese Americans. A very dark period of our, of our history. It is child abuse, plain and simple. Child abuse. Uh, you do not take children away from their parents. No, rip them out of the womb, though. Make sure Planned Parenthood does it. Sell their organs, sell their parts for profit. Force the taxpayers to pay for all that. Now that is Nazi Germany. Now that is something to oppose. But try it. See where you get with it. The propaganda now that comes from the left, the phony media and the phony Democrats, is so beyond the pale. Worse than ever before. You should go back and look at those films of Nazi Germany. Go back and look at those films of the Holocaust. These people who speak like this, who dumb down our history, who dumb down world history, they are despicable. They are unconscionable. And to compare what we do in this country to the Third Reich, to the Third Reich, to Imperial Japan. Some of you had family members who perished. Some of you had family members who fought those regimes. To compare this administration, this country, to Nazi Germany, that's what they're doing, to Japanese internment, is a disgusting disgrace. Who are these fools in the media? And then they say it. Then they feel good. They pat each other on the back. They go out. They get their lattes. Their finger sandwiches. They socialize with each other. And then they go back to work the next day. Trashing you. Trashing the country. And the sick irony about all this is they're not protecting those kids. Because if we don't vet those adults with whom those kids come, we don't know if those kids belong to those adults. We don't know. But apparently it doesn't matter. I'll be right back. Chicago, Illinois, the great WLS. Go! Mark, I hold you in the same regard I did William F. Buckley. People wow. have got to understand there are 600 million people south of our border who live on about 10% of what we do. William F. Buckley, in fact, once said that the average Latin person anywhere in Latin America lives better in an L.A. jail than he or she does in their own country, not mm-hmm. because of freedom, but because of the resources they're afforded. But I'd like to say something also. My cousin of mine was a veteran of World War II. He spoke Yiddish. 
at the end of the war, when uh, they were liberating the Jews from the concentration camp, he was asked to go into a concentration camp because he spoke Yiddish. And, and he was dying at the time and told my brother and I a story about how he could not forget the odors and the, and the, the images that he saw when he walked into that camp. This mm-hmm. is an American Jew who saw his people dying, starving, treat, treated like dogs. This comparison, my friend, is disgusting. Mm-hmm. It really is disgusting. The media are disgusting. The media are full-blown out of the closet. And uh, they, they hate America media. That's what it is. They say, we love America. No, you don't. You hate America. You're radical progressives. You want to fundamentally transform America. You are mouthpieces for the Democrat Party. And the Democrat Party has been hijacked by this ideology that's been imported from Germany. Hegel and Marx and all the rest of them. I'll be right back. Thank you, sir. This is the show the New York Times is afraid of. Mark Levin. Call him now at 877-381-3811. There's a kind of identity theft that I'm just learning about, and it shows how cyber thieves will never, ever stop trying to steal your identity. Why? Because it's virtually priceless on the black market. Synthetic ID theft. Ever heard of it? It's when thieves take pieces of personal information from various people and create a fake persona. And it's incredibly difficult to catch since there's not a complete ID to match against. But my ID care covers you for even this sophisticated kind of scam. Look, no one can protect you 100%, but my ID care offers best in class protection and gives you a 100% identity recovery guarantee if you do fall victim or your money back. Nobody does that except my ID care. And with plans less than 10 bucks a month, it's time to let my ID care take care of you. It is the best service. That's why we've agreed that they should sponsor, in part, this program. They used to only cover major international corporations. Now they can cover us. Now, credit freezes alone won't protect you from uh, all nine types of identity theft, but I, my ID care will. Learn more and get 15% off at myidcare.com slash mark. Promo code Mark. That's a mouthful. Write it down, please. That's myidcare.com slash Mark. Promo code Mark, where it's easier than ever to enroll. One more time. Myidcare.com slash Mark. Promo code Mark. The, you know, the government's not going to protect you. You got to protect yourself. I rarely have three guests on in a program, but I wanted to have my buddy Derek Hunter on. I've known him a long time. He's written a, a wonderful book. Outrage, Inc., How the Liberal Mob Ruined Science, Journalism, and Hollywood, right down our alley. Derek, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Mark, and thank you for having me on. You rarely have any guests, so a day with three is a real anomaly. It's an anomaly, but I'm really thrilled to have you to, uh, to, kick, it off, to kick off the final part of the program here. Now, Derek, you've hit a lot of areas with this book. You did an enormous amount of research. How long did it take you to write the book? It took me about nine months to do it, but I've sort of been, I mean, I, I've been following media, and I, I remember you were from back in the Rush days when you were F. Lee Levin. Yes. And I, uh, I've been doing research sort of my whole life, but to sit down and, and try and compile it into a book, it took about eight, nine months. It's real work, isn't it? Yeah, it is. 
I, I know why why you say when I email you like I'm in the middle of a book and you show a picture of your table just covered in paper. <laughs> it really takes a lot of work. Now, you write about a lot of things that are actually happening, very prescient, but again, based on experience. All this talk about Hitler now, that's one of the things you actually point out in your book. When the left gets very angry and when they disagree with you, everybody's Hitler. They are. They live in a world where they can't make a case. If you opened up your phones and said, what are Democrats running on in November? You'd get a thousand different answers, but no real sense of what Democrats are running on. It's because they're running on emotion. They want to keep people angry. They want to keep people afraid to stop them from thinking. And the Hitler button is the ultimate turning it up to 11. It is it demonizes your opponent. So people who are inclined to believe liberals will immediately tune out whatever that person says and label them as history's greatest monster. But where do you also where do you go in that debate? You can't have a discussion with anybody if they're comparing you to the greatest monster of the 20th century. It's it's not by accident, Mark. It's by design because emotion overrides logic. I can feel as much empathy as I want for the children at the border, and that shouldn't change what is logically right, what is the letter of the law. You want to change the law, fine, but it shouldn't cause me to override and ignore the law just because I feel awful for these people. You take a, an excellent uh, shot at and, and you expose the, the media. The media, to, what are the media today? They are press secretaries with press credentials. They are stenographers. They are the fellow travelers. I mean, it is, they don't even try to hide it anymore. Every day, Sarah Sanders takes on, they might as well be throwing rotten fruit at her in the White House mm-hmm. press briefing. It's reached a point where it's not adversarial. They're not speaking truth to power. They're speaking one groups of powerful people's truth, even though truth is not uh, subjective, at another group of people. They've become activists. And it's, it's sad because journalism is very important. It's how we get our information. But it has now become an active participant in the news. It's not just what they decide to cover. It's how they cover it. It's how long they cover it. A Republican scandal lingers on in the news for weeks on end. A Democratic scandal gets a casual mention on page 15. And then they walk away like a dealer at Blackjack in Vegas. They clap their hands together, put them up, and say, oh, we've covered it. We're moving on. It's, uh, if it weren't for double standards, liberals would have no standards at all, and it's personified in journalism. It's sad. Now, um, you also point out that uh, TV is a perfect example. They create experts. Yeah. It's really phony, but they create, for instance, these scientific experts. Explain. Well, if you see somebody on TV, you figure that this, especially on a cable news show or news show, you think they've done their homework. This person has been vetted. They're an expert. But someone like Bill Nye, the science guy, just he was a failed stand-up comic who had a PBS show. He was cast as the science guy on a PBS show, a local PBS show, back in the 90s. Now he's presented as an expert on climate, for example, and on gender his background is in engineering. He, if you want to build a bridge, you probably should call him. But if you want to know what's going on in the environment, he has no idea. The same goes for uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. He's an astrophysicist. He studies deep space. That is the exact opposite of what is actually climate. Yet because he toes the liberal line, 
he is presented every time there's a storm, every time when uh, the storm hit Houston last year, he was on television spouting that it was because of climate change and we can expect more of this with no proof, no background. He just read a couple of news stories. And that is enough to qualify as an expert on cable news, sadly. So much of what we see on news is just people who happen to be available to talk about whatever the news of the day is, and they have no expertise in it. That's why reading and doing independent research is so important. And we see this with the uh, media use of Hollywood and uh, the culture's use of Hollywood. These are former drama students. They don't have any particular expertise any more than anybody else. And yet they're pushed out front, too, because of their groupthink, aren't they? As a, my first major in college before I wised up was theater. The girls were pretty, so I went yes, to theater. Yes. And it was fun. So were the guys, but I, go I, ahead. I tell you, they are not the brightest people. They're not the brightest. Look at Robert De Niro. He can't string a coherent sentence together if you paid him to. Mm-hmm. But they are on the bandwagon. It is classic groupthink. If you can get a Mark Ruffalo out there tweeting about how we're destroying the planet, how we're all going to die if we don't cede our life and liberty to the federal government. There are a lot of people who think, well, he sounds smart every time I see him. He must know what he's talking about. But realistically, when you see him, he's reciting somebody else's words that were written for him. They certainly weren't researched words uh, when he's playing the Hulk, but it is all part of the reinforcement. The, The liberals decide what the agenda item is. The journalists follow right along. The scientists The fake scientists give it validity, and then the Hollywood types disseminate it to the rest of the country because we live, sadly, in a world where if, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio has 20 million Twitter followers, not because he's brilliant, but because he's Leonardo DiCaprio. That gives him an enormous amount of power to talk about the environment, for example, which is his great cause. Meanwhile, he flies a private jet full of Victoria's Secret models to his home in the Caribbean to receive an award for how green his life is. It is the ultimate in hypocrisy, but it's a brilliant way to set up a system if you really want to indoctrinate people and fool them. And, of course, one of the linchpins in this whole kind of uh, aggregate that you, that you write about is academia yeah. and how that is incestuous. Explain. Well, you are not allowed to think differently in academia. You will never get tenure. You will get fired. Even if you stray, there's a professor at Evergreen State University up in Washington who made the mistake. He's a liberal professor. He'd been there a long time. He made the mistake of speaking out against the day of absence that the school had when uh, the black students, it was a, a day to talk about race. And uh, the black students said, we want... Wait a minute, isn't that every day? I <laughs> know, no kidding. But no. they wanted the campus to themselves. They said that not only should the school shut down, but non-black, non-people of color should leave campus. If you want to have a discussion about race, go do it at the local Starbucks. Get off campus. This professor said, that's not, that's not right. We should have a conversation with each other if we're going to have this conversation. I'll help facilitate it. It'll be civil. He couldn't have been nicer. He's a very liberal guy. He suddenly became history's greatest monster to the point that he couldn't walk to class anymore without being barraged by activist students. He had to resign. His wife, who also worked at the school, had to resign. Ultimately, the school had to pay him a half a million dollars in a settlement, and now the school is suffering a massive decline in enrollment because no one wants to go to these schools because they see... 
that if you dare stray, even if you're on their team, if you're not 100% on their team, if you're 99.9% on their team, that 0.1%, they'll come after you over. I'm sure the uh, liberal media took this up, didn't they? (laughs) It was barely mentioned. You had to go online. Fox News carried it. Conservative Talk Radio did. But no, it's, it's no big deal. What happened on the University of Missouri campus was the same thing. They had hoaxes created. And that's the thing, Mark. In the book, I document a lot of hoaxes. Because these social justice warriors on college campuses are told constantly that there is racism everywhere, the system is rigged, it's out there, just go and fight it. And they're all revved up to go and fight it. Oh, we've got to go get it, we've got to go get it. And they go out into the real world and they can't find it anywhere. <laughs> so they manufacture it because they know that it exists, they just can't find it, and they want to, quote, draw attention to the issue. It is, it's, it's dangerous It's disgusting, and people are getting $150,000 in debt learning this garbage. I'm really uh, pleased that I had you on tonight. We're out of time, but I I want the audience to know what a fabulous book this is. And you are a wonderful, solid conservative and friend. The book is Outrage, Inc. Perfect title. Wonderful cover. Outrage, Inc., How the Liberal Mob Ruined Science, Journalism, and Hollywood. I want to strongly encourage you to get it. It's the perfect summertime book, too. You read it. It goes very, very quickly. And I want to wish you all the best, Derek. By the way, folks, you can find it on Amazon.com, on my social sites, Mark Levin Show, Facebook, Mark Levin Show, Twitter. And I want to strongly encourage you to get it. And uh, congratulations. I hope the book does very, very well, Derek. Thank you, Mark. You know I admire the hell out of you, so those kind words mean a lot. Thank you. Well, God bless you, man. You take care of yourself. Folks, it really is a good book. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. All right. How many of you have an additional $5,000 sitting around? Anybody? I didn't think so. But you're going to need it if your HVAC system burns up. Because you didn't change out your air filters. I mean, it is summertime. It gets awfully hot out there. Now, I know you think I'm being melodramatic, but if you saw how bad this allergy season has been, all that junk, which isn't in your lungs, is in your home's HVAC filters. Plus, as I say, it's getting very hot outside. Your system is working harder and harder. Listen to it right now. I bet it is. Spend 15 or 20 bucks. Save your lungs and your HVAC system with fresh filters from my friends at FilterBuy, America's leading provider of HVAC filters for homes and small businesses. You know, they carry over 600 sizes, and if you uh, need a custom filter, they can do that just for you as well. Plus, they ship free within 24 hours. And if that isn't enough, they're manufactured right here in America. So there's really no reason to reject it. It's good for your lungs. It's good for your home. It's good for your HVAC system. They're made here in America, and they're priced right. Set up auto delivery. Just makes life easier. You know, it comes on a schedule, plus you save 5%. Additionally, you extend the life of your HVAC system. It's getting hotter and hotter outside, like I said. The last thing you need is a busted HVAC system on top of the allergies. I see all these HVAC trucks going on and on with the guy waving in the back. You notice that, Mr. Producer? There's always a guy waving on the back of the truck. They paint it right on there. I don't know if they're waving goodbye to your uh, bank account or what they're doing. 
So uh, save time, save money, and breathe better with FilterBuy.com. Now, I know I do. That's FilterBuy.com, FilterBuy.com. Tell them Mark sent you. I'm telling you, it's a wonderful product, wonderful service, wonderful small business. And I hope you'll check it out. All right. Let's take some calls. Mike, Fort Myers, Florida, the great WFSX. Go. Hey, thanks so much, Mark. I know you don't have that much time. But I know you got a listener or listeners out there who can understand what I'm about to talk about. I never understood the Democrats giving a damn about separating families. I have gone through the court system fighting a mother of a child that I have together, and the Democrats have set up so many laws put in place to keep me isolated from my kids. And I know there's somebody out there who knows what I'm talking about. I'm getting so sick and tired of these people talking about separating families when every day parents are separated from their families in the prison system. Not only am I a parent who deals with that, I'm also a teacher, and I've actually taught in the jail system. And I've seen so many men who have been arrested because of child support issues or whatever the case may be. Interesting. And those men are separated from their families every single day. Nobody's talking about, oh, well, John can't work, so let's not separate him from his kid. He gets locked up. And these people come in here, they're breaking on. When I say these people, I'm not talking about immigrants. I'm not talking about migrants. I'm not talking about people who come here legally. I'm talking about people who intentionally put their kids in that situation. And, Mark, I wish, I wish, I wish I listened to you for so long. I wish you guys would take to task this liberal media. And I'm talking about set them up for a debate. Let's have a public discussion with mm-hmm. Mark Levin and, and Don Lemon. Let's have a public discussion <laughs> with Sean Hannity and Anderson Cooper. Let's talk mm-hmm. about these real issues. Them Democrats they never gave a damn about separating families because they created a system similar to slavery where the slave master has set up where they don't need men because the women will train their kids to depend on that slave master. And that's what the Democrats have done with the government today. And I just want y'all guys, you, you, you do the legwork. I know you do. I listen to you. But I wish y'all guys would actually go after these news media people. Here's the problem, Mike. They won't come on my show. They won't, they, they, won't, they won't come on with me. So uh, we'll keep working on it. But, you know, they prefer a very cozy situation in which they just lecture all the rest of us, you know? Yeah, I just wish it would be something where the news would show Mark Levin challenges Don Lemon to a debate on the subject. Let him see if he'll come. Now, I have to admit, I've never challenged Don Lemon because, you know, I don't want to punch below my weight. The guy's not the brightest bulb. And by the way, Don, it's not because of your race. It's because you're not the brightest bulb, period. Anyway, go ahead. Well, well, as a black man, I'll tell you right now, it's not because of his race. I think he is a mental and intellectual lightweight. And I think everybody at CNN are intellectual lightweights. And to be using the Holocaust... And I, and as a person who studies history, to use the Holocaust as a descriptive about what's mm-hmm. going on with people who brought their kids here. Hey, Mike, hey Mike, I got to go. Will you call again? I really like you. You're really good. Everybody does. Everybody, Everybody likes Mike. Okay. See what I mean? I'm one of them. Call again, Mike. I like this guy. All right. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Check out Levin TV tonight, folks. I know you're going to like it. And I'll see you right here tomorrow. God bless.